It's a fact of today's world that everyone is spending more and more time looking at screens, especially kids. But that doesn't have to be a bad thing, especially if looking at the screen is unlocking creativity and new skills. Roblox is making that possible. Adam Miller is the Vice President of Engineering Technology at Roblox, which is building a streaming platform architecture for the gaming world. Roblox puts the tools of creating games into the hands of its more than 2 million users, and they have taken that freedom and run with it. On this episode, Adam and Ian discuss how Roblox has helped bring more creativity into the lives of kids and the challenges of building a gaming platform that is as easy to use and seamless as any traditional streaming platform. Enjoy this conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Did you know that Salesforce isn't just for sales? Using Salesforce as an employee experience platform helps make every employee across your organization more productive thanks to a common mobile-first platform for getting work done faster. Find out more at salesforce.com slash employee experience. Welcome to another episode of IT Visionaries. I'm Ian Faison, Chief Content Officer here at Mission.org, and we are on location in sunny San Mateo at Roblox HQ. Adam, what's going on? Hey, super good to be here. It's great to be here. It's a great day. Um, we're going to be talking about games. We're going to be talking about your background um, and a bunch of really cool AL, ML stuff, some AR, VR stuff. Uh, but before we get into that, how did you get into technology? Oh, yeah. So I was basically, as soon as I saw technology, it just grabbed me. Like from the minute I saw my first computer, so it was just love at first sight. I think my first hands-on computer usage, I was in third grade. So this is back in the 80, early 80s. There was a special class just for a couple of us in our elementary school where we could use an Apple II to program a game. Yeah. And it was ridiculous because there was no instruction. Nobody knew how to program it was one hour a week for like a month or something. And, yeah. and at the end, they're like, okay, show us the game you wrote. And of course, I had nothing. But I loved it. I, it's funny as I still feel bad about that. Like 30 years later, I'm like, oh, I could have made a better game if I just like had some instruction, something like that. But I, I loved computers from the minute I saw them. I always wanted to create on computers. And so starting when I was uh, eight or nine, 10, I be programming every day after school, just hours a day, and pretty much just kept doing that. You know what's so funny is like the idea of the computer lab. Like yeah, it was right. like where all the computers are. <laughs> like you go there and you can access all the computers. Yep. Um, yeah, now the computer lab is sitting in your pocket. Uh, I love the, the Apple IIGS uh, was my family had that, and it was just like every like early memory of like, I remember my brother wrote his his junior thesis on Elmo talking type. And it's like Elmo's talk. It's like playing it back to him. You know, it's pretty good. That's awesome. Um, so flash forward to now, kind of tell us about what your role is, what's the scope of responsibilities and, uh, and what you all are building. Yeah. So I am a VP of engineering. We have three main VPs of engineering here. And the way we split up Roblox is by product-facing teams, so individual teams that encompass one product mission. So one might be 
social, one might be around our mobile apps, something like that. And each team has the engineering leadership, the engineers, the product, the art and design analysis, things like that. Um, so Roblox, to speak about what Roblox is, is building uh, for the people who don't know, we are trying to build a platform of virtual creation. And the idea is we want to create virtual worlds, virtual 3D experiences that are fun to play with your friends and to enable a platform where our players and our creators are all members of our community. So the creators are building this content on our platform and they're making these different games. They're publishing them, they're playing them with their friends, and then they're also letting everyone else who's on our platform play these games. And so every game by default runs multiplayer and it's in the cloud. And you can join one very quickly and be playing and engaging with something that's really unique. The idea is that these creators make this content and as they get better and better and more engaged, the content level starts to go up and they can make really popular things. They can turn it into a full-time career and even make some money out of it. And that becomes their, their job is making awesome Roblox content. So overall, yeah, we're trying to create this virtual world system and get lots of people on it, stuff like that. Have there been any, you know, projects or or things that people have built that are particularly like exciting or, you know, made news or anything like that? Yeah. So we get super excited internally when stuff comes out. The When you have... 2 million people creating content on our platform at any one month. That's remarkable. You get just an amazing collection of stuff. And you get stuff you wouldn't expect, right? So one of our top games is work at a pizza place. The basic premise of the game, you go, you sit there at the cash register, or you get a job shoveling pizzas in the oven. Then you go deliver the pizzas, and you kind of work together as a team, and you get money for that. And I think it's a little bit special that something like that gets created and is so popular on our platform. You can imagine at a major game studio trying to pitch this, it's probably not going to happen, right? It's probably not going to be a funded project. It's going to seem too crazy. But because our creator community is comes from our player base and they understand the mindset of kids and teenagers, they have this natural understanding of what's fun that's maybe a little different and a little bit kooky. So we have these really unique, interesting experiences that you just wouldn't expect to see anywhere else. I think my girlfriend might play that game. <laughs> I'm like 99% sure. Um, I love the fact that creators are empowered in a way that they couldn't necessarily like be found otherwise. And it also stems from like, there's no inputs you know, on them. There's no, you know, nobody's telling them what to do or like where this should go, that they're kind of truly creating something. And I think it allows for that serendipity and silliness, you know, like everybody remembers like Flappy Bird got, you know, like mm -hmm. ridiculously pop popular. No one would have ever necessarily sat there and, you know, decided that that game was going to be a hit. Right. Right. Um, what do the, the makers on the platform, like, what is that community like? Yeah, it's, a community that has an enormous amount of passion. 
when we look at the people who are making the the content who are most into it, they've been on our platform a long time. Oh, really? Yeah, they almost always come from the player base. And when you ask them how long have they been on the platform, the average length of time is something like seven years. Wow. It's, it's crazy. They are so into it. And for them, it's a community. It, it defines a lot of their life and their creative output and stuff like that. And like you say, our platform gives them a chance to have a bit of creative freedom that's really cool. When they start out creating, it's typically just for fun, for experimentation. It's its own rewarding experience, that feeling of creation. So our job is to make the tools enable that to really lower the barrier of entry for creativity. You can load up our creation tools, start making some content, drag some cool things in, some weapons, some zombies, sculpt your terrain, build a cool thing, and you hit publish, you're playing with your friends online. We make that super seamless. So within an hour, you can be playing a multiplayer game with your friends or something you created. And that's a really compelling experience. And I think in today's world, the, the barriers sometimes are so high that this, this allows especially kids to have a lot more self-directed play and, yeah. and open creativity. What's the craziest or like weirdest thing that you've been like, especially tickled by? <laughs> We see crazy stuff all the time. Uh, one funny thing that you'll see in our office is something we call critical mass. And what happens is somebody will load up a Roblox game on their computer and then somebody else walks over and sees it. It's like, oh, that's cool. And then somebody else sees it. It's like, that's cool. And then all of a sudden you got two people looking at the screen. You're like, oh something really interesting must be going on over there. And all of a sudden, whoosh, the whole office is yeah. like gathered around. So you'll see just this wonky thing. It's like the creativity is so, so amazing and engaging. So like I was playing a game the other day where your goal is just build the biggest, longest, floppiest hat that trails around <laughs> you and, and follows you. And, and it's just silly. And it's probably not going to be one of our top games that yeah. takes over our game charts, but it's so fun. And it's great just to have those one-off experiences that's I'm, I'm here for any type of hat related content <laughs> i'm super here for um do you think that like the way that these folks are building you know getting found is it a way to accelerate both like the ownership that they could become you know like a game i say are a game maker but a, a game maker that's you know, hugely successful? Does it help them get into, you know, careers? Like, are these people, are they full-time at this? Like, what is the, what is the breakdown there? It's really interesting. It's one of our goals is to support people scaling up as much as, as they want to be. So when I started at Roblox seven years ago, you couldn't pull any money out. You would create just for the joy of creation, Got the it. reward of that. You still had really interesting things. About five years ago, we started enabling our creators to pull money out of the system. And that really changed the level of commitment and quality that, that our top people were making. And it enabled the top creators to make it a full-time job. So right now, uh, in this year, I think our top people in Roblox are going to pull something like $10 million 
off the system as making the top game. How, what's that team look like? Is it like, yeah. And, and that's, that's a great question, right? So when you're talking that level of money, it's not one teenager building content, right? You can actually afford to hire a team, have an office, have a full company. So we've seen several of these companies spin up now where these developers realize they can turn this into a business. They rent an office, they incorporate, they start hiring people. Because they're so wired into the community, what normally happens is they'll have a few people on site and then they'll have this web of people around the world who are creating content or doing one-off jobs or they're filling some specific role, moderation or creating scripts or whatever it is. And they might have a loose network of 30 or 40 people that they're all indirectly employing. It's kind of the workplace of the future in some ways. Yeah, no they're kidding. ahead of us in a lot of ways. That's so cool. So you have so you have literally created companies off of the platform. I mean you haven't, but yeah, we've we've created hopefully a platform, enough space for them to be able to do that. So when those, when those folks like get together, um, that are like the non-professional folks, like, are they just, you know, people out there like working for software companies is we have some citizen developers out there. Is it people <laughs> just, you know, uh, working in finance and just at night game, you know, creating games, like what's going on? So that, occasionally happens, but that's very atypical. The typical profile is somebody started playing on Roblox when they were 10 to 12. They dabbled with creation over the years. And then as they got older and older, they got more and more into it. They started making games that got real traction. They maybe started monetizing. Then they went to college. In college, maybe they learned some computer science fundamentals, met people there, things like that. And as they grew up, Roblox was growing up too. And so by the time they graduated college, maybe they had a decision to make. Like, do I go get that job at McKinsey Consulting, blah, blah, blah? Or wait, can I turn this Roblox thing into my job? The Roblox sounds like a much more compelling alternative. So they would graduate and then maybe move to some place where they had because they're already wired into this community. So they'll know a bunch of people, they'll get together, they'll form some kind of team, something like that. It's really interesting that people are, you know, decentralized, finding each other, that they're niching up or down depending on what they're, you know, what they're good at or what they're passionate about doing um, and being able to do that kind of work. When they're making money for games, is this things like in app is it purchasing is it like how do how do they make money yeah so the basic model is that any game is free to monetize in whatever way it wants on our platform we sell the virtual currency called robux so that's a transaction that goes between the player and roblox then the players can spend that virtual currency in their game. So they might sell power packs or subscriptions or bonuses or VIP access or special, whatever it is, they can, they can pick. We want them to be as creative as possible in how they monetize their game. And then they take a, a cut of that and we get a cut. Our Robux, can you buy stuff at 7-Eleven? Or are we getting there? <laughs> is it going to be a cryptocurrency? It, not there yet. Yeah. It basically is, right? Um, I want to talk about the architecture. Um, you know, clearly you 
have been involved in cloud uh, and architecture for a while. Um, under the hood, what is the level of complexity? You know, obviously, in a marketplace like this, there's a ton of different challenges that go on, but you have to fun- have a fundamentally high quality product to even attract people in the first place. So, yeah, can you share a little bit what's under the hood? Yeah. So, Roblox is a great example of something that looks very simple. And there's an enormous amount of complexity and work under the hood to give it that appearance. Mm-hmm. Almost the simpler it looks, the harder our job is. So fundamentally, the model we took is to build a streaming platform architecture. And I'm going to dive into that a little bit because that word has become such a buzzword these days. Totally. And it means very different things to very different people. So streaming for us is the key to unlocking the ability to go from one Roblox experience to the next very quickly. So if you look at a traditional game, you're playing Diablo, you want to jump into World of Warcraft, that's a whole separate game. You've got to purchase it separately, then you've got to download many gigabytes and sign up for your account and all that type of stuff. The Roblox architecture fundamentally is a streaming architecture where you can join any game and it loads everything in real time without having to pre-download the game. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a really hard thing to do. We put a lot of work into making that game load really quickly and bring all the assets over the wire and have a very compelling virtual world. That's the basics of our, our streaming architecture. That lets one player jump from one game to the next without having to think about it. You can be in the new game in five seconds and you can do it on multiple platforms. So whether you're on a desktop, whether you're on a mobile device, you don't have to think about it. You can be with your friends. If you and your friends want to go play another game, you can quickly just jump into that game, whatever it is. You have that commonality of experience. So you bring your avatar along with you. You bring your friends with you. And a lot of the camera and controls and stuff like that is common. So you have this, this continuity while having a lot of interesting variation. So that's the fundamental of our architecture. When some people talk about streaming, uh, Google Stadia, I don't know if you're familiar with mm. that. It's gotten a lot of press this year as a game streaming platform. It's Google's answer to... Some of these platforms that have been around for a while, like OnLive and Gaikai, where you'll stream games and there they're streaming over video. So you're playing a, the game actually in the cloud is running on some server and a video comes to your device and you can see the video and interact with it, sort of. The problem with that model is that fundamentally you have a lot of latency. You never get the feeling of instantaneous interaction because any Any action you take on your device has to be sent to the cloud, executed on a server, composed into video, sent back to you, and then displayed. So you're always going to have a bit of a laggy experience. By sending all the 3D world data onto the device, we've made a really big commitment to have a seamless streaming architecture. And honestly, we spend so much time and effort trying to make that work really well. It's a huge part of our company. What about things like bugs and, and stuff like that. You know, it's something that, I mean, is your team helping the creators with that stuff or is it just kind of like on them? Yeah, so our first goal is to make the core platform as, 
as robust as possible. We've been working on Roblox now, our engine for 14 years, something like that. Wow. Uh, still finding bugs. Of course, we're, we're developing new things all the time, but we want to make it super robust. So when a creator is building on top of our APIs, they throw some parts in, they do some physics, they call some scripts, like everything should be pretty solid. Of course, they'll have then they'll have the bugs in their own games. So we provide as much structure to help them along with that as possible. So bug reporting, error analysis, stack trace reporting, statistics on where their games work well, where they don't, things like that. Fundamentally, our goal is to make creation as easy, as fast, and as seamless as possible. So that's part of the story. And you have a ton of kids on the platform, which I, and I know there's like lots of like privacy issues and all sorts of other things that come into that. Yeah. Um, but from just like an innovation and like excitement and uh, educational component, you know, there's you're talking about like STEM education is a huge uh, priority for everybody right now. Um Kids love building games. Turns out they're really good at it. Hmm. Um, I'd love for you to share just kind of like what that's been like to see children using the platform to like learn and grow. Yeah. So I have two kids of my own. And what's interesting is they've grown up very much in lockstep with Roblox. So when I joined <laughs> Roblox, they were six and four. So very oh, much funny. on the young side. But even at four years old, I saw my daughter creating in Roblox in our creation tools, yeah. our full-on IDE. Okay, she wasn't writing code, but she was building houses and stuff like that. So when people complain, oh, this tool's too hard to use, I'd be like, well, my four-year-old can use it. So, you know. It's like the actual, like, uh, it's so easy a four-year-old could use because <laughs> here she is. Like, yeah. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, walking in the door. Yeah, so, so kids, I, I've seen how kids interact with it. And I... What, what I've learned from being a parent, which has been a bit of a humbling experience in a lot of ways, is how hard it is to impart wisdom yeah, sure. onto your kids. Like, oh, you should really study X because that's going to be so valuable. Eh, it's a tough sell. Uh, I think one of the great ways we help kids is by providing a hook for th – that's something really interesting. When we – give them a platform where they can create something that that's a game or they can play with their friends. That is something that they, they see the value and they want to jump in and engage with that. And I think that's a good way to, to get them engaged, start learning. They, they can take steps first. They might create and model things in 3d. Then they're like, Oh, I want this to move here. I want this door to open. I want this gun to have more bullets. I want, it's, it's always like cheating with my kids. Like, how do I cheat more, right? Yeah. I want my gun to have infinite ammo, blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. So then they'll start diving into the scripting and the coding, maybe making small modifications at first. I think that's a good place to grow from. I've seen that be more successful than like handing somebody a JavaScript tutorial and, and seeing if they'll the kids will work on that. Yeah. I mean, I think that ultimately, like we all grew up, you know, bringing something to, you know, mom or dad or your brother or sister or whatever, like, look what I made, right? Like yeah. I mean, we all seek that as children, whether it's, you know, art or sports or, you know, whatever it is, um, giving them something that they can do. I think the thing that was so challenging that I think for a lot of like young people in previous generations is like, 
when you get the Nintendo or the Sega Genesis or whatever it is, it's hard to imagine that someone made that game. Like it started with a blank piece of paper and they created Sonic the Hedgehog and mm-hmm. they created all the characters and built all the worlds and made it all work. Like that conceptually to a child is pretty difficult yeah. to like understand. But when you say like, here, you're starting with zero and like you get to add stuff and then next week you can work on it. Like it just changes the conversation into a much more incremental thing. And then you can kind of do some inception level stuff of like, oh, you know, move this, like you do some parentheses here and then, yeah. you know, this, that, and the other. Um, yeah, and to, to comment on that, we actually go to a lot of effort to make that creation as intuitive as possible. So if you look at a traditional game, the creation story, there's a lot of, complexity built around optimizing for just the end result. So you'll have something called an asset pipeline is typical for a game where the artists create these assets and then they're processed in all these different ways and baked in with a render farm and the lighting and all this stuff. So all this complexity that that there's no way a kid's going to engage in that even the first step. So what our goal is, is to make something where the, the creation is super intuitive. You have a blank slate. You just have a base that you can build on. You drag something in, it does kind of what you expect. It sits there. If you kick it, it moves. If you cast a light, it has a shadow. Uh, people can join the game multiplayer and just move around and they all are in the same world together. So we, we say by, by inheriting that design from the real world, the things you expect from the real world, you get a much more intuitive building experience but it's actually really hard and it takes a lot of work under the hood to make that efficient. So for example, in a classic game, most of the world is is static. It can't be modified, it can't be moved, can't be changed at any point in time. You get a lot of efficiency from that in terms of how you can build your engine. You can make a lot of assumptions like, well, I know this house is just fixed there. I can hard code that, I can optimize in all kinds of ways. We don't take that shortcut because we want to have that elegance of of modeling a lifelike world where in the real world, if you run into a house, it can move. If you blow it up, it's going to fall down. We we want to enable that that elegance, but it takes a lot of work to do that. What about, you know, AI and machine learning? How do you think that those things are starting to play into, you know, this type of gaming experience? AI and machine learning is so fascinating. I'm not an expert, but I'm, I think it's changing the world fundamentally. And it's really one of the biggest things that's happened in software over the last few years. We're starting to see at Roblox, it's going to affect so many of our different teams. There's the really obvious ways and there's the less obvious ways. So right now we're building out some of the obvious things like great recommendations, um, collaborative filtering, a lot of the safety and and moderation automation is going through machine learning and AI. What I think we're going to see is in the future, can that be part of our creation too? Can we leverage, leverage that for generative things and help people build worlds and stuff like that? So I think we're probably going to have ML built into just about every team and every product we have. So for AR and, and VR... Which are lumped together and they shouldn't be in. Yeah. Yeah. But they're fun. <laughs> uh, 
what do you think, what is the, what is on the horizon, um, for you all in those two? Yeah. Super interesting stuff. When the last big VR push happened with Oculus and Vive coming out, we were very much engaged because we're all about building these virtual worlds and virtual immersive experiences. VR is the perfect fit. AR is a little more complicated, but get to that. So we jumped all over. We're like, oh my goodness, we got to make sure we're in. We're almost too late. It's about to be here. So we like worked really hard. We got our Oculus support. We launched and we're like, oh, maybe it's not quite there yet. Maybe we're early. <laughs> we were a little bit early. Uh, we played around with Daydream and some other stuff, but ultimately... Uh, what we realized is it's still not quite there. It's not exactly clear why everyone has different theories about it. Some people are like, oh, it's still too expensive, but I don't think that's right because no. the people who have the headsets, even they spent $1,000 on, they just sit there. So Yeah, no, it's definitely not. That, it's a, that's a great point. It's like how every every you know huge innovation either starts in gaming or starts in like enterprise business, right? Mm -hmm. It's like because they're... You know, it's either a super fun and then it becomes a utility or a super expensive and then it becomes a utility uh, that's reductive. But point being that it's like it's definitely not too expensive because people have $8,000 gaming systems. So clearly it's not too expensive. And people bought the devices. Yeah. So clearly exactly. that's, I mean, not that. that's not main street appeal. Like yeah. not everyone can do that. But like for sure, the price point is not the problem. Exactly. I think we're just not there on the hardware. Yeah. I think the... The resolution and the fidelity is not there. And you can't do it for a long time, right? I mean, that's like part of the thing is like, yeah. you're just going to like a lot. We were just in our previous interview, you know, he's like, I've gained my whole life. Like I can't sit in one for more than 10 minutes without getting dizzy. Yeah. It's like you can play a game for, you know, two hours and then you play a VR game for 10 minutes. Like yeah. nobody wants to do that. Exactly. But long-term, I think I'm super bullish. I think this is a good case of Amara's law. I don't know if you've heard this one before. Mm where it's that with any new technology, the impact is overestimated in the short term and underestimated in the long term. Yeah. So I think people were like over that the recent round of VR was going to take over, but I think long term it could change like everything. So fundamentally, I, I kind of, I'm picturing the matrix style. Everyone's living in a bubble with their VR headset on. And so we'll see. I mean, I think it's, a matter of time, you know, you look at like how bad Alexa version one was like, yeah. you know, and all this stuff, like it just, it gets better exponentially, yep. you know, just so of course the early version is just not going to be as good. Yeah. Some of these technologies take a long time, right? Like, so I was in college in the nineties and I remember them saying, my professors were like, yeah, machine learning, neural networks. We thought this stuff was going to work in the sixties. Turns out it's a big joke. And yeah. it turns out, no, just it was going to take 50 years, not 30 years, yeah. right? So, And I think that we got to, and this is more of an aside, but you know, you have like Moore's Law, right? So we're like, man, this is how innovation works, right? So you're like, hey, we can do this um, double chip capacity, but it's like ML isn't, it's not, doesn't work that way or, you know, whatever it is, yeah. AR. Um, do you think that as the creator community can figure out how to do those things, then you have the ability for like these hits to emerge. Because I think that's part of the problem too, is like, you know, if nobody can use the, use the tech, it's like kind of useless, but you also have no one, there's like, there's no 
benefit to creating? Like, why would you be creating in it if it's just too hard, right? So Yeah, I've heard that argument. I don't really believe that either yet because we've had several years now since the the recent headsets have come out and people have tried to create so many different things, so many different experiences and none of them have stuck. I guess Beat Saber is the most popular and maybe VR chat. I don't think there is a killer app yet. I think the hardware is just not there. One of the things that I thought was super interesting um, about the company is just how long it takes to build something great. You all have been at it for a long time. And I think, you know, ultimately, especially in a marketplace where it's like, you know, you're constantly serving your customers this new amazing thing. But uh, and you, you said to over two million people now. Yeah. Two million creators a month are creating some content that somebody else plays. That's amazing. So where do we go from here? Uh, you know, what is the the longer term vision of the company? I know you you all are growing like crazy. Uh, word on the street is uh, hundreds of amazing job opportunities, which is just super exciting for our listeners uh, who I'm sure are going to check out the cruise page that we'll link up in the show notes. But uh, but what does this look like? What do the next five years look like? For us, we are still working on our our are the same mission we've always been working on, creating a platform to enable immersive 3D experiences and virtual social play. We still got a really long way to go to get there. We're probably only 10% of the way there. We wanna have something that's, that's so much more amazing than where we are today. So there's a lot of core tech we still need to build. And I feel a hunger to get there that we have so much left to do. Taking a step back at our larger company picture, a couple of the big things that are come up over the next few years, we're doing a big push into international right now that's going to to really open us up to the world. Roblox is in a pretty cool place where, because we have such a diversity of content, we can succeed around the world in a really special way where people who want to engage with different types of things. It might be work at a pizza place in America. It might be working a sushi restaurant in Japan. Uh, We can have all those experiences on on one platform. This year and next year, we're focusing a lot on bringing Roblox around the world. Uh, We've signed a a joint venture with Tencent in China. Oh, cool. Wow. And so that's really exciting to to bring Roblox to China. Wow. It's kind of the crucible. Yeah, uh, it's really hard to succeed in China, but I think we have an amazing opportunity there. And then looking out a little bit further, I'd say the the biggest thing we're going to do is expand Roblox to a broader range of ages. Traditionally, we've been really focused on kids. And right now about half our platform is under 13, a little bit more. In the future, we want to broaden that age range, not to lose that core group of people, but to have an exp- have a platform that appeals to a much broader range. And there's some really key things we need to do to get there. So first, we need to make it so your avatar, your, your representation of yourself, which is so important, can be a lot more expressive. Right now, it tends to be a little bit childlike, a little blocky and primitive. We want to expand that range, have all the way from the simple minifigure type toy up to a very modern 
cool avatar that's going to appeal to a 16-year-old or an 18-year-old or a 30-year-old and let them configure it and layer on clothing and create all kinds of cool things and, and customize it and make it feel very much like them. So once you have that identity, uh, you appeal to a wider range. Another really big piece we need to unlock is a range of content that appeals to more people. So we have so many creators that are engaged. We have people that want to create these different types of experiences. What we're not doing a great job of yet is surfacing the different content mm -hmm. to different groups. And that's such a big thing. It's more than just age range. It's, it's all about having niche content, long tail, things like that. When you think about all the, the platforms out there that serve long tail content, YouTube or Netflix or whatever, they're doing great discovery that's very tailored to who you are. You watch one video, they show you others that look like that. We're barely scratching the surface on that. We haven't even really done it yet. Everyone sees the same things. So when we unlock that, we unlock the ability to have experiences that appeal to a lot of different types of people. But also it's tough. I mean, I think for, you know, for kids that literally you change, you're changing extremely rapidly. So like yeah. what you do when you're 14 and what you're interested in when you're 16 is potentially extremely different. You know, my Netflix algorithm probably doesn't change too much, you know, unless like <laughs> you're bit. Yeah. Right. Um, they more or less know, but you know, I think, you know, part of that too is, when you have so much data now and with ML and AI and things like that, that you can start to look at like, hey, now that we have all this stuff, you know, you could splunk it or something. Yeah. Um, but you can look at all of these, you know, data points and figure out like, what are some really interesting trends that, you know, potentially like nobody has really thought of, right? I mean, this is pretty uncharted waters. It is. That's, that's absolutely right. And Hopefully we don't have to figure it out manually. Like yeah. you say, we can we can use the amount of data. We've got 100 million players on our platform. That's an enormous amount of data about their behavior and their tests that's being generated. We can learn all kinds of things, all kinds of interesting niche content. Final question on this part of the interview. Then we'll get into the lightning round. Um, back in the day, you served as CTO of Wired Planet, which was... I mean, you, you could describe it to the listeners, uh, you know, somewhere between internet radio, kind of precursor to podcasts. Obviously, we're partial to podcasts around here, um, here at Mission. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So that was my first job out of college. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Oh, that's fine. Um, I, I graduated from college. I traveled around Southeast Asia for a year and I came back. And I'm like, all right, time to move to Silicon Valley and, and go do that computer thing. So I, I found this startup called Wired Planet, and it was led by a real visionary-driven executive uh, called Thomas Hale. And he had a mission to bring internet radio to independent labels and musicians. There's some other internet radio at the time, but what wasn't being served was the long tail content, which I thought was super cool. So... We created that company. Um, it was right in the original dot-com bubble. Yeah. So we grew up from two people to 17, something like that. Eventually, everything was crashing around us. We managed to get acquired by a company called Listen.com, which eventually got sold to Real Networks. So it was a really good experience. I was so young and so green. I'd never worked anywhere before. So yeah. 
I could code like crazy, but I was so raw and untrained. I remember I hired this guy and I'm coding. He's like, Adam, you should really use version control. I'm like, what's that? (laughs) It's like, oh, let me show you. That's really cool. There's this thing called CVS and you can check stuff in. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is awesome. Like, wow, I'm learning so much. But so like in retrospect, (laughs) I probably should have like gotten some training because of course, especially in those days in college, it was just completely abstract. Like the, the, the classes are not teaching you anything remotely practical. It's just like algorithm analysis. Don't worry. Nothing's changed. (laughs) Okay. Uh, so, so that was, that was Wire Planet and it was also a platform of sorts, which really has an affinity for my own personality. I love burning, building platforms. Don't say burning, (laughs) not burning. I love burning platforms. We're going to keep them, uh, out. Um, But what I learned from that was how hard it is when you don't own the IP. Mm. So at the the end of the day, we were at the whim of the labels. And eventually we moved on from just independent music to all music. And we were basically at the whim of the major labels and whatever pricing scheme they would just dictate or whatever rules and broadcasting. I was like, oh my goodness, it was really hard. And so I, I vowed never to put myself in that position again. Um, and, and if you look at how the industry evolved, pretty much a lot of the creativity was stifled. Spotify has come along and crushed everybody, but the way they did it was by launching in Europe, right? They, yeah. they just couldn't even get the rights in America. So you just see how how stifled the whole industry was. And uh, it took it took an outsider to come in and change it. When it wouldn't have changed. And the thing is, Spotify would never have been as successful as it was if it wasn't for all the social platforms. Like yeah. that's the other piece is like, you can build a brand now online. Like you can be, you can become an artist by putting out stuff every single day. I mean, there's so many artists now that like, I'm going to put an, out a, out a mixtape every single week for 52 weeks. You know, like there's people that do that. Like back in the day, it's like, you could have done that. No one would have found it. Right. right? What are you going to build an email list? Like, <laughs> uh, hello, listen to this. Um, it's a really interesting point. I think we just learned so much from our first jobs that like stick with you. And it's one of those things that I think a lot of people get scar tissue from that stuff. But if you know how to, if you figure out, if you can like reverse engineer the problem and say like, well, what was the real issue here? It's like someone else's business model (laughs) was crushing our business model and therefore, uh, you know, they didn't want to play nice. Um, but Spotify saved all the labels anyways. (laughs) Uh, okay. Let's get into some lightning round questions. These questions are fast and easy just like the lightning platform from Salesforce. You can go to salesforce.com slash build mobile apps to learn more about building apps. The world's number one CRM, the lightning platform. These are lightning round style questions. Are you ready? Ready. First question. What app are you using on your phone that is the most fun? I play a board game called Go. And if you're familiar with it. Sure. And so I play turn-based go games on my fun phone. So that's my go-to. You know, it's fun to be actually talking to a company that is 
so many people's favorite app on their phone that is fun. <laughs> we get so many questions from executives. They're like, I don't have fun on my phone. Or like, I don't have any fun apps. And most of them are always about their kids when they do have like a, like a, like, I don't know. It's something that like, like messenger, because I can message my kids. Or what technology are you most excited about going forward? I want to see how machine learning changes the world. I think we're in early days there and it's, it's super exciting. Favorite music group uh kanye favorite vacation spot like going up to the mendocino coast so a few hours north i was just there oh nice i love yeah have ever been to gualala that's where i go actually (laughs) i'm going there next week yeah really oh man gualala is great crabbing season is still open july 31st for those dungeness lovers out there um Favorite book or podcast that you've read or listened to recently? I really like the podcast Acquired, if you Hmm. know that one. I don't. It's a couple of guys and they talk about IPOs and acquisitions and Hmm. they'll do a really deep dive into Uber or Spotify or whatever and go through the history. And they like look at the S1s and all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, It's really fun. Best advice for a first time VP engineer? First time VP of engineering, they're probably moving up from another role and getting a wider scope. And the big challenge there is always to think at more of a system level instead of an individual problem level. So when you see something that you want to improve or fix, to think at at that system level, how do we fix this systemically? Last question. What question do you never get asked that you wish you were asked more often? What's your most controversial belief? What is your most controversial belief? Not going to tell you that. No. (laughs) I don't think people should focus on their careers. Hmm. So I think most people who want to focus on their career are doing it for the wrong reason. And I recommend people actually focus on doing great things in whatever they're passionate about and the career will kind of get there. If you spend your energy making awesome products and building great software, uh, maybe I'm a little bit of a hopeless, naive romantic, but I think that'll get recognized in the long run. And overall, you're going to be better off putting your energy into that than trying to think about your career and how to get promoted and stuff like that. I love that. And I would add that once you make those things, make sure that you're telling people that you worked on them. Yeah. Because that's, I think, the one piece of like people sometimes do these amazing things and then don't do like the super simple thing of like link it up in your LinkedIn. (laughs) You know, like help yourself get found. Make sure that you have those things that you can share. But no, I love, I totally agree. I mean, I think people like, I think we learned like you can be a doctor, you can be a lawyer, you can do all this sort of stuff because those all have set paths. Right. But it's like the most of us have no set path. So <laughs> uh, you got to figure it out. Yeah. Uh, well, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for hanging out. Super cool. This has been great. And we are going to follow along. I'm I'm so excited to see where you know 200 open recs. So uh, over the next year, lots of growth. Uh, everyone should check it out. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. 
Thanks again to our friends at Salesforce. Did you know Salesforce isn't just for sales? Using Salesforce as an employee experience platform helps make every employee across your organization more productive thanks to a common mobile-first platform for getting work done faster. Find out more at salesforce.com slash employee experience.